Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. I recently came across an article that's called the top 10 good deeds to do before you die. <laughs> Number one is to donate to charity. And I'm sure most of you here today or everybody has some, at some point donated to charity. Here's number two. I, I don't know about this one. This one's a little shady if you ask me. It says, let a homeless person shower and eat a meal at your place. God bless you if you've done that. Yes, I'm sure you have an extra gold on your crown in heaven for that. Number three, it says, give somebody a ride somewhere. That's not a bad deed. You know, my good deed is to give somebody a ride, and their good deed is to give me a nice tip. <laughs> Just kidding. Number four, it says, buy someone gas for their car. Number five, offer manual labor as a service to a neighbor. Number six, compliment a complete stranger. Number seven, rescue one or more animals. Number eight, cook a meal for your family. Number nine, give blood and or plasma. Number 10, offer to take someone's picture. Those are the 10 top deeds that you should do before you die, according to that article. If you want the article, I'll send it to you. Just let me know. Today, I want to draw your attention with all that in mind to a phrase found, the last phrase in verse number three. It says, to be ready to every good work. <coughs> Excuse me. Today, I want to label my thoughts with these four words. Good deeds for life. Good deeds for life. In other words, I believe that if there's anybody in this world who should be consumed with doing something good to our fellow neighbors or our fellow brothers and sisters, it's somebody who calls himself a child of God. It's somebody who is a son, somebody who is a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But before we move forward in this, in this passage, in this message, I want to just focus on this thought for just a few moments. Good deeds are not a requirement for salvation. They are the result of salvation. Good deeds are not the requirement of salvation. Hear me well. They are the result of salvation. So I want you to know this, that if you gave 10,000 homeless people a ride in your car to your house to shower and fix them a meal, if you did it 10,000 times in the course of your lifetime, but you died without knowing Christ as Savior, you're still going to enter into a place the Bible describes as hell. In fact, you could, you could do a lot of other good deeds. You could do every one named on that top ten list and still die without Christ and end up with all eternity separated from God in hell. I want you to know that the reason why that we should be out doing good deeds for our society and in our area and community is because Jesus has got a hold of our heart and he's changed us from the inside out. And if anybody ought to do good things for our community, it's the people that call themselves Christians and it's the local churches. Unfortunately, churches these days and Christians these days are too busy fighting amongst each other uh, about, you know, what kind of color they're going to have on the carpet and what kind of either the pews or the chairs or whatever. You know, we're fighting over those, some of these nonsense things. And, and instead, we should be advancing God's word in our community. 
So today I want to just uh, summarize the content of my message with this statement. And if you walk away with anything, I want you to walk away with this thought. I will do good deeds, not because I have to, but because I get to. I will do good deeds, not because I have to, but because I get to. You know, it's not a, a have to thing because of what Jesus has done in your life. It's a, it's a get to. We get to do all this stuff. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said that we are saved not by works that we have done, but he said by the grace of God. In fact, we are saved by faith alone and in Christ alone and there's no other way. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse number 10, that we are created unto him, under his workmanship, for good works. So God has saved us to get off of our blessed assurance and to start doing something for the name of Jesus. God doesn't save you so you can come to a church setting like this and so that you can sit, soak, and sour in that pew. God has saved you so that you can get up out of that pew and get out in our community and tell somebody about the good news of Jesus and do something good for your fellow neighbor. Today I want to ask and answer this question. What good deeds does God require me to do? <coughs> Excuse me. What good deeds does God require me to do? And before I answer this question, I want to remind you today that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a young man, his son in the faith, if you will, Titus. And he is admonishing Titus, who is going to this little island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. And he's going there to start churches, to ordain pastors, and to, and to, and to really disciple people and advance the good news of Jesus. And he says here in these first two verses that I want you to relay this message not only to yourself, but also to the people that you're going to be ministering to. And that is to do good deeds for life. And here in verse number one. The first thought I have for you is from the first half of verse number one. I wrote down this. First good deed requirement as a child of God. I wrote down this. Do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. Do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. Yes, you might go to the rescue mission and feed the homeless. Yes, you might give somebody on the side of the street a compliment and say, Hey, that's a nice outfit you got going on. And I appreciate all the compliments y'all have given me today. Keep them coming. I'm telling you, I'll keep wearing my Nikes while I'm preaching if you keep doing it. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but you could do all that stuff. But if you don't do what God has required you to do in this verse, you're not obeying the word or will of God. Do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. Did you know, whether we want to admit it or not, every president that has been elected in the history of the United States of America has been placed there by God. Every leader in every area of our government was placed there by God. Sometimes they're placed there because they're God's blessing. And sometimes they're placed there because they are God's cursing. <laughs> I want you to know this, that the same word in the first passage, first phrase, it says, put them in mind to be subject. Say subject with me. Subject. No, this is not the subject of you know, salvation. This is not the subject of end times Bible prophecy. No, this literally means to be subject to. That is to submit yourself to. It says to principalities and powers. Do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. God has placed leaders in your life for a reason. doesn't mean you have to always agree with them. 
But what it does mean is you are called by God in his word to submit to their leadership. You know, it's very interesting. When President Obama was the president of the United States, everybody in the Republican Party was in a, in a, always in an uproar about something he was doing. And now that President Trump is in office, everybody in the other part, the, the Democratic Party, is all in an uproar about what's going on. And so one thing that I've noticed is that when you identify with a particular political party or you place your identity in somebody who is in office, then you may not always be pleased. But when you place your identity in no matter who our president is, that Jesus is your king and rules in your heart, then, you know, it's, it's not going to be a problem for you to submit to that leadership. Now, certainly, certainly, Whenever we have somebody in leadership, they've got to abide by the, the word of God. And there's times when some people in leadership, no matter who they are, sometimes they don't always abide by the word of God. I want you to know this, that no matter who it is, we are called to submit to leadership underneath them. I want you to know this, that the same word here that, 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 that in our English Bible, it says it's translated subject. It's the same exact word that's used in Romans chapter 13 and verse number one, where the Bible says that, that Paul is writing to the church of Rome and he says, hey, be subjects to the powers that be, these, these ones who are in charge, these leaders over the country. And, and it's very interesting because, because if you think that the current administration or any administration that's ever been has been completely full of evil, I want you to know something, that when Paul was writing Romans, the letter to the church of Rome, he was writing when somebody by the name we believe in church history the name of Nero. Nero was overseeing the area in Rome and he was the most brutal, most divisive, most destructive man that church history really emphasizes when it comes to persecuting Christians. And when Paul's writing, he says, hey, be subject to the powers that be even if they're hunting your life. So perhaps instead of using a deconstructive critique with those who are serving in office, maybe instead we could just simply submit to their leadership and get on our knees and beg God to send them revival and beg God to do something in their life and beg God to send a God-fearing Christian to share the gospel with them if they're not saved. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, we read in verse number 5, the, uh, uh, a similar word is used. And in where it says, uh, where it's, it really it says, obedient to their own husbands, speaking about uh, the wives in the household, they are to be subject to the leadership of the home. And that is the, the husband's responsibility. And then in verse number 9, the Bible says, servants to obey their masters. The same exact word is used earlier in chapter 2, is used right here when it says be subject to principalities and powers. Now, I'm thankful. I'm so grateful what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in the, the letter of Romans. I just got to read this verse to you, these two verses. Uh, Romans chapter 8 concludes, and he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to know this, that sometimes there's going to arise leaders, maybe in our nation in the future, but, but in other nations for sure, that they have suppressed the Word of God, and they have closed the Word of God and chained it up to where the people that live in that nation 
can't have access to us. And I want you to know this, that God's love, it doesn't matter if a leader in that nation is suppressing this word, God's word will still be advanced in the lives of people. Today, what does God require us to do as a good deed? The first one is do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. Secondly, as the verse moves forward, it says to obey magistrates. I wrote down this. Do the good deed of obeying the laws of man and the law of God. Do the good deed of obeying the laws of man and the law of God. Certainly there's times in, in history, whether Old Testament or New Testament, that the believers chose not to obey the laws of man because they did not coincide with the laws of God. So if somebody stands up like, like in the days of Daniel, when they said, hey, we're going to issue out a law that says you cannot pray to any other being except who we say, well, it's, it's okay. You have, we have the permission by God to say, hey, I know that you've said this, but, but my biblical conviction found in God's word says that I have to only pray to Jesus and him alone. So if a law like that is ever established, it's okay to break, God's law, to break the law of man. But whenever the law of man does not contradict the law of God, we have got to obey the law of man. And I'm afraid that churches are full of people who are seeking to do anything they can to wiggle out of their way of obeying the laws of man. We all do it. Even if it's as simple as not obeying the speed limit. Even if it is as simple as parking in a parking spot that, that the law says we should not park in. Here the Bible says to obey magistrates. So we are to obey these, these, these lawgivers of our land. And yes, I think it's important. Yes, I believe that it's critical that, that as, a, as a nation, as a Christian group of people right here in our nation today, that if we're going to have a testimony here in Roanoke and abroad, that we should be individuals who fulfill the laws of man in our society. Follow them. To do them, to not be ripping and raving up and down the street and, and going throughout the, 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 the community disobeying the laws of man. I mean, it'd be ridiculous, it'd be foolish. It would harm the testimony of our testimony as, as a Christ follower, but then it would harm the testimony of God's word and the name of Jesus Christ. I want to show you one example. If you got your Bibles, turn them back over to the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Now, I think the other week we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And that's what's going on here in this, in this chapter of Acts chapter 5. Well, in chapter 4, they came and they sold everything that they had and they donated to be used to advance the gospel. And Ananias and Sapphira kept back a portion and then they received the judgment of God. And then we read about a few other things going on uh, here in, in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. How the apostles, they go out and they, they are they're thrown in prison. Because they were out teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus and telling people about how he rose from the grave and how he offers eternal life to all. But, but in the last part of, of chapter number 5 and in verse number 39, excuse me, verse 29, verse 29. Here they're confronted with society because they passed the, they, they were saying, hey, we don't want you telling people about Jesus. And Peter 
And the other apostles in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5 said, We ought to obey God rather than men. If you lived your entire life and you obeyed every law in America, in Roanoke, in whatever town you're in, but you failed to obey the greatest law, the law of God, you failed as a human being. The law of God was, 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 was really interesting back in the Old Testament. You see, I believe in the very beginning, God placed the law on the human conscience. And then I believe that, that over the course of time, God gave Moses the law. And he wrote the law on a tablet of stone and placed it in the Ark of the Covenant. Two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And that is something that our society has been known of following and using. But there's come a time in our day when our nation that was founded upon biblical principles has set aside the law of God. And it's time, church, that we get back to obeying the word of God above anything else in our life. That is, if God's word says it, we're going to do it because we believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God, church? If you do, say amen. amen. All right, great. I'm glad we have all agreed that the Bible is the word of God. So if we're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, what did he say? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In fact, say that with me. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's exactly what Jesus said. And here, we're reminded here to obey magistrates, to obey the ones that are in the authority. But the greatest authority that we ever had is Jesus. So let's obey him. Verse number two. This one's hard. This one uh, hits us right in the heart. The word of God's like that sometimes. That's why the Bible says it's like a sword that's quick and powerful. That sometimes when you study the Word of God, it just drives home past the intellect and all the way down to the heart. The third requirement that God wants us to do as far as good deeds, I wrote down thirdly. Do the good deed of speaking evil of no one. Do the good deed of speaking evil of no one. Here in verse number two, the Bible says to speak evil of no man. Context, context, let's keep in mind the context. It's speaking about those leading in government. It's hard for all of us. It is very hard sometimes. You know, it's easy to speak well of somebody when they agree with you, right? If we're on the same page, oh man, we can talk good about oh so-and-so all day. But when they're not on the same page, oh buddy, they done backslidden and they're a heathen now and they're a pagan. But here, you know, it's interesting. That sometimes this phrase, to speak evil of no man, you know what it's translated as in other places? Blasphemy. You know what the word blasphemy means? It literally means to speak ill or evil of God. And so, of course, the Bible says not to take God's name in vain. Yeah, I mean, that would be a good thing for us as children of God not to do it. But we're all guilty of it. And so that's why we're all guilty. And we need a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and He can cleanse us from every sin, even the sin of blasphemy. But I want you to know this, that the past couple of years I've been really studying eschatology or end times Bible prophecy more than, than I ever have in my life. And in Revelation chapter 13... The Bible talks about the Antichrist and how one day 
During the tribulational period, he's going to march into the temple that, that they've created to worship God. And he's going to march into that temple and he's going to declare to all the nations that he is God and demand people to worship him. And if they don't worship him, they die. That is blasphemy. And the same word that's used in Revelation 13, the same word that's used in other places about the, the other blasphemy uh, passages is the same exact word here. And so all the Bible is trying to stress to us today is that when we speak, we are to speak words of encouragement and words that edify. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes uh, I, uh, I get in, it might sound a little morbid, morbid to you, but I get into to reading epitaphs, you know, sayings on tombstones. I don't know. Maybe you think I'm weird, but that's okay. I already know I'm weird. But here's what one says. It says, here lies Ned. There's nothing to be said because we like to speak well of the dead. <laughs> wow. Sometimes the best thing to say about somebody else is nothing at all. Because, you know, once you get started, oh, man, there's a list of grievances and complaints that are 55 miles long. And once you get started, it's hard to stop. And once you get started, sometimes you're going to embellish and exaggerate and begin to speak evil and evil and evil of that person. My fellow brothers and sisters, today, I know we're all guilty of speaking evil of others myself included. Today's a simple reminder that if we call ourselves Christians, it's time to lay aside speaking evil of each other. Whether face to face or behind the back. You see, the Bible Belt is known for believing the Bible, but also stabbing each other in the back. <laughs> it's time that we stop doing that and that we do not speak evil of no one. The verse goes on. It says to be no brawlers. So first of all, I wrote down, do the good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. I said, obeying the laws of man and the law of God. I wrote down, do the good deed of speaking evil of no one. But then I wrote down, fourthly, do the good deed of living peaceably with everyone. Do the good deed of living peaceably with everyone. It says to be no brawlers. This word is only found two times in the New Testament. It's found right here, but then it's also found over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you don't need to turn there. But remember when we were going through the book of 1 Timothy, we know that in chapter 3, lists out the qualifications of those in leadership of the church. talks about the pastor and the deacon. And it's interesting, in verse number 3, when it deals with the qualification of a pastor, it says that this man, this man, he, it says he is not to be a brawler. Well, what is a brawler? Well, the word literally means this. It means somebody... A brawler is somebody who seeks not to live at peace with man. So if you are going to be in leadership of the church, I believe whether pastor or deacon or really any leadership, that person, that individual, that man or that woman should be seeking to live at peace with everybody. 
And I want to say this, that before you can live at peace with men, you got to at first be at peace with God. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, our father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us peace through a personal relationship with God. And if we expect God to 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 break down the wall of partition of sin between us and to open up the opportunity to have a peaceful relationship with with each other, with God and man. Don't you think that we should break down that wall of partition, that wall of war and say, let's live at peace amongst each other. Well, a brawler seeks to cause contention in the congregation. In other words, a brawler is going to seek to sow strife and sow discord. I'm sure that, that some of you, you know, maybe, maybe you, 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 you are, maybe, maybe you don't like to play music or sing, but you know when it's good and when it's not, <laughs> right? You know, I could go over here to the piano and I could play a couple chords that sound really good. And a chord really has three notes. Let's just do um, C, E, and G. That's the chord C. There it is. And it sounds really, really pretty together. But when you start putting other notes that don't match those notes, it doesn't sound so pretty. <laughs> and somebody who is a brawler, in the church. Notice he's writing to the church, to believers. A brawler is somebody who is not seeking to sow peace, but he's seeking to sow war. Not physical war, like going out and shooting somebody, but war in the household of faith. That is the war of strife, the war of discord. And the Bible says that God, it says that, that it is an abomination in God's eyes for a man or a woman to sow discord inside the local church. God wants us to be full of unity and peace. A brawler not only seeks to cause contention in the congregation, I wrote down this, a brawler seeks to cause division in the congregation. You know, when I think of a brawler, when I read that word, I think of somebody in the boxing ring going to town and boxing. You know, somebody in the ring, they're not seeking to have peace with each other. They're trying to win a, a nice belt or a big trophy. And, and in a similar fashion, a brawler in the church is coming in and he's throwing out that punch of strife and he's throwing out that punch of discord. And then he's coming in and he's throwing out that, that left hook of division. And actually, when strife is sown and division is sown and discord is sown, it's the fruit of Satan. It's not the fruit of God. Now, yes, I know Jesus, when he came, he did come to bring division, but it was a theological division of separating the, 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 the true followers of Christ with the non-followers of Christ. So I understand that. But when it comes to the unity in the local church, God wants us to be unified, not torn apart. And the worst testimony a church can have is the one that's ripped right down the middle. So how we doing, church? How we doing, my brother? How are we doing, my sister? Are we sowers of peace or sowers of war in the church? The Bible goes on to say the last phrase. It says, be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. I wrote down fifthly and finally. Do the good deed of showing gentleness and meekness 
to everyone. Do the good deed of showing gentleness and meekness to everyone. Here it says, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. This word meekness, it literally means humility. And this word gentleness, it means somebody who is mild and moderately patient. Now, if you have children or you have grandchildren, you know that's God's way of teaching you how to have patience. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a Lighthouse Kids Club worker or a bus worker, you know that is God's way of teaching you how to have patience. <laughs> you know, patience is truly a virtue, but it's something that we ought to practice. God has called us to do that. You know, we often hear about people saying, well, I'm not going to pray for patience because God is going to give it to me. You know, it's funny because God commands us to be patient. He actually, in correlation to the second coming, God commands us to be patiently awaiting his return. Now, I know sometimes I'm a little antsy when it comes to Jesus' return. I'm like, come now, God. Take us out of this crazy world. And I know you're like that too. But we're called to be patient. Because while we're being patient on Christ's return, we are called to be administering patience to everybody else. Aren't you glad God was patient with you? When you were, when you were in, in, in complete rebellion to God and God's word, and God got a hold of your heart and he saved you, aren't you glad he was patient with you? Then don't you think we can be a little bit more patient with some of the young people around here sometimes, and sometimes uh, other areas of ministry in our church? Don't you think we could be a little bit more patient to know that, hey, there was a time when I was a teenager, there was a time I was a junior, and I was hanging on the chandelier too. <laughs> and that I was living in complete rebellion towards God and God sent people in my life that were patient enough with me to sit down and say, hey, here's what God's word says and you need to get right with him. And by God's grace and mercy, I, I, I bow down and confess Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the patience of God. The Bible says God is long-suffering to us. In other words, he says he is patient to us and that none of us should perish, but all come to repentance. God wants every man, woman, boy, and girl to come to know Christ as Savior. And he wants us to practice patience enough sharing the gospel with somebody over and over and over and over again, being patient that God would allow us to, to sow the seed, to water the seed, and then for him to give the harvest. You know, we've been sowing the seeds of the gospel in our community for a long time. Eight years since I've been here. I mean, it's awesome. And as we look back at these eight years, we really haven't seen a whole lot of people come to faith. Now, we've seen a several this year, which we give God praise for. But one of my prayers now is that, yes, we've been sowing the seed of the gospel, but now it's time that we pray for God to send a harvest. And we need to be praying that God would raise up laborers for the harvest because the laborers are few. And here, really in context, The Bible is speaking about how we are to be patient with those in authority. Yeah, I know I need your patience sometimes. <laughs> and so do our other leaders in America. Today I close with this thought. Are you more concerned about donating blood, which is important? Are you more concerned about helping a homeless man? Are you more concerned about some of these good deeds, which are fine and dandy? Or are you more concerned 
about the good deeds found right here in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The good deed of submitting to God-given leadership. The good deed of obeying the laws of man and the law of God. The good deed of speaking evil of no one. The good deed of living at peace with everyone. The good deed of showing gentleness and meekness to everyone. I will do good deeds, not because I have to, but because I get to. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.